This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for joining us for another episode of the podcast. In today's episode, our guest, Monique, she really wants you to invest in real estate because she has laid out in perfect form the exact strategy you should use at any budget. So we're not saying you have to use this strategy at a certain budget, but we are giving you options. So there are no reasons you cannot get started in real estate, no barriers to entry here. And so we really want to do this because we care about you. We want you to get started in real estate if you've been waiting or sitting on the sidelines. Hopefully you can, at the end of this episode, pick a strategy and run with it. Even if it's not the strategy you're going to stick with forever, it's more important to get started than to wait for the perfect time. So without further ado, here's today's golden nugget of the day. Today's golden nugget is just that. It's to pick a strategy. So as you're listening to this episode, think, does this fit with my end goal? Or does this fit with my family's needs right now or my budget needs? Think about that as you're going through because as I said previously, it's more important to pick something and just get started than sit on the sidelines and wait for the perfect time or the perfect uh, budget to, to save up more money because you can always get started in real estate wherever you are. So that is my golden nugget of the day to you. And here we go. Let's get started with this episode from Monique Holm on how to invest in real estate at every budget. Welcome to the show, Monique. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks for having me, Dalen. You bet. Um, Can you give the listeners a short introduction about yourself and what you do in real estate? Sure. So I, as a real estate investor... Mostly I syndicate, so I bring groups of investors together to purchase larger properties. And our focus right now is on industrial and multifamily. And and then on the other side, I also am the founder of Real Estate Investor Goddesses. So I have a group for women real estate investors. Wow. My big, hairy, audacious goal. My mission is to help 1 million women create financial freedom through real estate investing. Hey, I mean, you got to set big goals, right? Um, in order to get there. <laughs> Well, I think so, but it, it was more like there's like a divine mission more than a, a goal I set. Yeah. Like, here's your mission. Should you choose to accept it? Kind of. So that's what Well, I'm before about. we even dive into the, the meat and potatoes, like the real estate, I mean, what made you get on fire for that mission and what kind of opportunities has it opened for you so far? Oh, that's a great question. So I was at, when, when it came to me, it was, I was actually in the hotel gym, um, on an elliptical the day after a two day conference, real estate conference. And I'd gone and I was just thinking back on that conference and there were about 120 people there. I think of the 128 were women and I think two of those eight were ended up working in the back. So it was mm-hmm. very few, but that was not, that's not unusual for a real estate event. And, um, you know, and I just, and it came as as I was on this uh, on the elliptical, like 
bring women into that room. Like this is a real estate is such a wonderful uh, thing for women to do. It's like, you know, bring them in. And so real estate investor goss is that mission that came, that came to me at that moment. Already I had been working with women in, in the area of money. I was a money mastery coach, abundance coach for women. So I was already part of what I was about. Uh, and the, but just that bringing them to real estate that came to me at that moment and that the mission, not the, not the how of it. I, I still am figuring out the how I do that. It was, and I, I don't need to know all of it. And that's like uh, Martin Luther King says, you don't just take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. I don't, I still don't see the whole staircase, but I've just taken step after step and it has opened up these amazing, these amazing things and opportunities and, incredible people I've been able to meet and the, and just like helping in, in the ways in which I've been able, or this, this mission has helped other like women create these incredible things in their lives. It's been so gratifying and it's taken me all over the world speaking and doing different things. So it's, it's been really, really incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, we, sometimes we find our passion in life when we look at what we see as wrong with the world. And then maybe nobody else sees it that way. Um, and, but when you have that like inkling of feeling that you need to do something, you better act on it, you know? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. Um, it, it's amazing uh, learning about your story and what you're doing right, uh, right now at the moment in real estate. Um, specifically today, I wanted to talk about like strategies on getting started and working with the budget that you have. I know you're passionate about this, helping women, especially. And a lot, I think a big excuse, uh, women included are, um, that they make is I don't have enough money to get started. I don't have mm-hmm. the right budget. Um, you've produced an awesome resource on your website at the real estate goddesses.com. REI goddesses.com. It's probably the REI, REI goddesses.com. And you've laid out a bunch of different strategies today. I want to dive into those. Um, but can you first touch on like why you created this ebook on your website? What what was your intention in that before we get into the actual content of it? Yeah. So the guide, which is called Investing in Real Estate from $1 to $1 million, Investing Strategies for Every Budget and Every Goddess. I created that because I kept hearing this excuse from from women, especially that's my focus. I'd love to get into real estate. I just don't have enough money. And, and, and it's like, well, what is enough? Right. And people, all different budgets are like, I, you know, I just need more money and then I can do it. So that was, that was the first, that was the main thing, which is why I wrote it. But there are two other excuses that I hear all the time. And the, and the book talks about different strategies that address each of those issues. So the second one I hear all the time is, yeah, that sounds great, but I don't have the time. I'm so busy, kids, family, job, whatever. I don't have time to find properties and have uh, tenants call me in the middle of the night about toilets and have to deal with that. And so I wanted to share different strategies that are very little time. And then the last one is people or women will go, yeah, that all sounds great. But I don't want to be a landlord. I don't want to have to evict anybody. I don't want to have to deal with the like all the three T's, the tenants, toilets, termites. I don't want to, you know, and nobody wants a, a call in the middle of the night about toilets. So I, um, I shared strategies that don't 
require you to be a landlord. You can make money in real estate without having to deal with tenants. So the guide addresses all of those issues. So there are actually several strategies that you can start with zero dollars that are don't don't require funds and then upwards uh, strategies that don't require much time and once you've vetted the the opportunity and and invested some that start as little as a hundred dollars and then there are strategies that don't require um, you to be a tenant a landlord that don't do any of the landlording parts of real estate investing yeah, I love your approach um, because you've literally knocked down any wall somebody could come up with. For example, if they don't have enough money, you you offer strategies that start at zero dollars. If they don't want to deal with th- the three T's, tenants, toilets, and termites, you've offered solutions for that. If they want to be passive versus active, you've offered strategies towards that. So let's just get right in. Um, talk about those strategies with a zero dollar budget. I know you mentioned a few like Airbnb, your own home. Wholesaling, joint venturing. Um, can you unpack some of those and who that would be suited for? Yeah, great question. So, um, Airbnb, your own home. So, let's say I have a friend who has an apartment, one bedroom apartment in the heart of Hollywood, and um, a lot of tourists want to come. He was a long time, he was renting the apartment, but he was Airbnb his sofa bed in his living room and made enough money to pay the rent for just just airbnb his sofa bed uh, so whatever you have there's probably a way that you can take part of your space uh it works usually best when you have a whole separate space uh, you might have a a, a maybe a, a basement that could be turned into um, its own unit that then that starts to cost you money but at zero dollars, you just take what you have and you can start renting it out. Or, you know, there's other strategies like you could, if it's really nice, you can use it for people. People can use their spaces for events or for photo shoots. Um, so that's one strategy that doesn't, that doesn't require you to, to outlay cash. Um, yeah. And if, at, if you don't have a separate bedroom, you know, the proverbial, oh, just rent out your spare bedroom. I mean, there's websites now you can rent out your attic space, uh, neighbors.com, I believe. You can rent yeah. out your car, Turo. So mm-hmm. these are all great solutions. To I, get my friend had rented his sofa bed in his living room. Yeah. <laughs> he had yep. a sofa bed and that was it. <laughs> and he made enough money to pay rent. So um, <laughs> that was, and, and then some. And then he he rented out a couple other apartments in that, in that building that, he he was using um, the whole apartment for Airbnb, so that that's one strategy. Another strategy is um, I, I think you you mentioned one of them is that you you joint venture with someone, mm-hmm. so you can find a partner who maybe has the money but not the time, and you have the time but not the money, and so you you partner together to flip a house. So you'll find the house, you'll do the work, you put in all the sweat equity. The person puts in the cash. When you're done, you pay them back their principal and you split the profits 50-50. That's a way for you to use sweat equity without having to uh, without having to, to use any of your own money. And a, and a third strategy is wholesaling. So basically, it's flipping the contract. So you get a property under contract. You, um, you find a, a 
a buyer who will take take that contract for a, a more than you find it. So let's say you you have a property you found for a hundred thousand, and somebody is willing to to buy at one hundred and ten thousand. Then at the closing, the the buyer pays one hundred and ten thousand. The seller gets a hundred thousand. You get a ten thousand dollar wholesaling fee. So that is um, that's another strategy that is um, that's more active and you're putting in sweat equity and all of these strategies, but you're not putting in any of your own money. Yeah. And I want to stop at those three because you mentioned more starter strategies in your book, but if we mentioned them all, this episode would go two hours. Um, (laughs) But I want to stop and highlight that those three strategies, Airbnb, your own home, wholesaling and joint venturing, those are not passive. Those are not just set it and forget it strategies. Um, And to add on to that, the Uh, You're going to be dealing with toilets, tenants, and termites on the Airbnb realm, Um, not Mm -hmm. on wholesaling, but you are going to be dealing with that on joint venturing sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you explain um, why, you know, why is the three T's a detractor for people? I mean, I got into real estate because I wanted to rent out properties. I don't really have a problem with the three T's as much. I mean, yes, it is an extra thing to deal with, but... um, why do you think that's a such a big excuse for a lot of people getting started? Yeah. So um, I think there are a couple of reasons why people are f- afraid or don't like the three T's. First of all, real estate investing is not one size fits all. So as you know, the, hopefully people will get just from listening to this, there are a lot of different strategies and a lot of different ways of playing in this game. So some people love the idea of having tenants and having these properties and getting to deal with that. And and that's really fun and exciting for them. And other people are like, you do want to do that. <laughs> so they, so I know uh, a lot of people, especially women, they're, they just, they're horrified. They, they hate the idea of ever having to evict someone. They hate the idea of um, having to get, you know, calls late at night, having to deal with things they don't, they don't know or understand or, you know, don't want to have to deal with. They, a lot of people hate the idea of being, they think they might be cheated. They might get a bad tenant and have to deal with that, you know, that aspect of it. So there are a lot of different fears that people might have. And then other people might just be really busy and they don't want to, and they're, they don't want another side hustle. Right. They have like, there's enough hustling with just, um, having your regular, your regular job or career, or your, your family. And it's just, it's a, it's a lot already, especially this past year where so many of us have had to homeschool and, you know, on top of everything else. So having a whole other gig, a whole other job is too, feels like too much. So I think that for a lot of people, that's why they're, they're wary about, having to be a landlord and, um, you know, dealing with that. And then other people, they love it. So it's just, it's not one size fits all. Yes, absolutely. And what we're trying to do today is just, um, you know, convince the audience that there are avenues you can get into real estate. That's not just rentals. That's not just wholesaling. Like what a lot of people hear about, there's Mm -hmm. so much more out there that you can get into that's suitable to your schedule, your family life, and your budget. So any last points on the $0 strategies that you wanted to mention? Um, last points. It's, I just, I just want people to know that regardless of where you are, um, 
either financially, time-wise, you know, your propensities of what you like to do, there is a way for you to start making money through real estate investing. And, and I, and there should, you should never feel like you can't, you can't do this. Anyone can do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on to those strategies that maybe require a little more budget. This is probably for somebody who has less time and more money. Maybe you have a stable job or just you inherited some money or you set, you were diligent in the past with money and you set some aside and you say, Hey, I want to get started in this real estate thing, but maybe I don't have as much time as somebody with a $0 budget. Um, a few of those strategies that I pointed out were, um, from your book were turnkey investments, turnkey investments, notes, and private money lending. So, I know these a little more advanced strategies that maybe people haven't heard about. I mean, Airbnb in your own home is pretty self-explanatory. What is, um, we'll go one by one here. What is turnkey investments? Yeah. So turnkey investments, it's great for somebody who's starting and for somebody who is, um, who doesn't, who wants to be more passive. So basically a turnkey investment is you're, you're get you're buying into the investment, you own it, but somebody else pretty much doing all of the work for you. So there's, um, if you get a turnkey house, what'll happen is the turnkey provider will find the house, they'll fix up the house, they'll put in a tenant, there's property management, you buy the house and you own the house, uh, but the turnkey company is doing all of that work for you. So usually you're going to pay a little more for that property than you would if you were to get it and do all that work yourself, but you don't have to do all that work. So that, that turnkey company is handling it. So that's, that's a strategy. There's also a, there's turnkey farmland. Um, you can buy, you own an acre and somebody else is farming it for you and you're getting profits and you own that land. So there are a lot of different turnkey strategies, but it's just, it's an investment that is pretty much done for you, even though you're an owner. So that's a, that's what a turnkey investment is. Right. And it's not a $0 budget because you do need that down payment. I'll also mm -hmm. mention that it is, um, it is passive. It's supposed to be passive at least. It's supposed to be. <laughs> turnkey provider is doing all the property management, um, financial work and, and so forth. And then, yeah. but you're still going to deal with the three T's. To a certain extent. So the, in theory, the turnkey provider will be doing, dealing with the tenants, right? So they'll be doing that property management for you. So you're not really going to have to deal with the three T's, but these deals are only as good as the turnkey provider, right? So with, with all of this, you really want to, um, assess who is offering the opportunity and what the, what, what it is. So if you have a great turnkey provider, you're probably not going to have to do much of any work. If you have, not so great a turkey provider, you might have to go in and find a new somebody else to do the work um, if they're not doing a good job. Right. So that, that is, um, that's the challenge there. Right. Yeah. I watched a video from Garrett Gunderson. He does a lot of uh, financial education on YouTube and he kind of dispels the whole myth of uh, the, the passive approach. Like even when somebody says, Oh, it's a passive income, it's passive opportunity. It nothing's really passive. Uh, Cause you have to take some effort to set it up. Uh, in yeah. the initial stages, unless he said, he, he kind of joked, the only passive income is if you inherited, if you were like one of the lucky ones to inherit like a billion dollars at birth. 
Yes and no. So the the main way that I invest is I bring groups of investors together to purchase um, larger commercial properties. And I'm, I'm an active investor and we have passive investors. So they do have to vet the deal up front, right? So they have to vet whether or not they, you know, they vet the team, they vet the deal to make sure if it's a fit for them. But then once they fill out the docs and send in their forms, all they do is wait for their funds to come back with friends. So it is very passive after, after they're invested. So that, you know, being a passive investor in a syndication, once it's set up is passive. Um, So that's, I don't think it's totally false to call it a passive uh, investment. A turnkey investment can be pretty passive. As long as a turnkey investor is doing a good job, then um, there shouldn't be much, if any work for you to do at all. Yep. And that's the goal with turnkey. Uh, mm-hmm. Secondly, notes. Notes is something that I don't think a lot of people understand or talk about. Why yeah. did you pick that for the starting at 10K category and expound on what it means to invest in notes? Yeah, notes is really cool. Notes is basically what how a bank does real estate. And you're, you're becoming the bank. So under a, a note in general is uh, you can have unsecured notes and secured notes. Um, so you might have a note on your car. You have a car note um, that's a, a note secured by your car. Your credit card is a note. Uh, well, your house, your mortgage underlying that is a note. It's a debt. It's a promise to pay. And you those can be invested in. You don't have to be a bank to start investing in them. So uh, if I don't, if anyone listening has had a home, they bought a home and they have a mortgage, and then sometimes maybe a month or two later, they get a letter in the mail saying, hey, um, we're your new lender. Like you, you, That's basically a note that has been sold to somebody. And they said, now you can pay us, oh, you know, over, <laughs> send your payments over here instead because you're, this is a note that's been sold. Well, as, a, as an investor – you can you can invest in these notes and you'll get them for less than the cost of the property so it's a way to get a um to to get an investment at a discount uh, there and you can invest in performing notes which is when the 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 mortgage hold the the, the homeowner is paying or you can perform you can invest in non-performing notes when the homeowner has stopped paying on the mortgage and you might go well why would you do that <laughs> why would you buy a note uh, and the reason you do that is you get those pretty much for cents on the dollar so you for you know 50 percent of the price of the you know the the value of the the collateral the, the property um, or less sometimes you can, you'll have this note and there's a lot of flexibility in terms of how you can, um, you can work those, there's like 23 different exit strategies. And it's a way for somebody to basically to be as the bank, they can help somebody reperform, get their mortgage working again and making money. And, um, or the worst case scenario, you foreclose and you get that property for a very significant discount. So that's that's being a note investor, which is, you know, banks, banks are not nonprofits. They make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And note investing can be very, very lucrative. Anytime you can be the bank in a certain capacity, like you're in the right yeah. place because there's a reason banks are so big and, and very wealthy. Yes, they, there's they, a they reason banks are the banks. <laughs> they understand the bank. <laughs> arbitrage, you know, lending it out at a certain amount and then, you know, actually getting the money at a different amount. So, yeah. 
Yeah, there's a, there are a lot of different ways where you can you can handle a note. That's as long as you do your good due diligence, it's it's a very it's one of the lower lowest risk investment strategies there are. Yeah, because uh, especially if it's collateralized by a piece of property, then mm-hmm. if they don't perform on that note, then you get to take it. Yep, that's a, that's the upside there. And the benefit with notes is you don't have to deal with the three T's. I mean, it's a, no. it's, is it a paper asset or is it just like a, a promise? Um, it's, it's not really it, like a real property, obviously. It's the paper. You don't have the property. You have the, you, you're, they're the owner of the debt. So they owe you for payment. So they're, they're still in charge of their own toilets and their own roofs and their own foundations. Unless you, you end up foreclosing on the property and get taking it back at that point, you know, you, that is your property to deal with. But um, yeah, when, when the notes are going well, you never have to ever step foot in that property or touch it or ever have to handle it at all. Exactly. Um, so the last strategy we'll mention on this category, the 10K budget or more, is private money lending. I think this is a, a very attractive for people who just want to set and forget their money at a certain interest rate. Mm-hmm. by lending it to flippers or other buy and hold landlords. So can you dive into private money lending as a strategy? Yeah, it's another way of being the bank in a sense, right? You're the you're the lender. Um but instead of going through this institutional process. So with the notes you're you're going to be purchasing yeah, these um these notes from lending institutions like banks uh with a as a personal lender you're going to be dealing directly with the the investor and you 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 have a contract with them um the those funds generally are also secured by the property so you i i'm going to really make sure to make that you secure them by the property <laughs> that is a that's a better way to to make sure that you your money is um you know lower risk and that that that's secured you know that is filed with the with the county make sure that you're it's really secured and and filed um but you can yeah you'll just say hey i'm going to lend you this money for a year 10% I can pay you back, you know, monthly, or they just pay you back at the end. There, there, there's no one way to do it. It's whatever you, as the the lender and the borrower, decide. There are a lot of different ways you can do this. Yeah, it's a very attractive strategy, and you know, if you're willing to do this strategy, there will be a line of investors hungry to uh, borrow from you at. Mm-hmm. At an interest yeah. rate, especially if it's a you know a lower, more desirable interest rate, I think yeah. you know eight percent, um, they're happy to pay eight percent on their flips and investments because they know they can invest that eight percent and make twenty or more percent by doing the active hard work. Yep. But always make sure that you're protected as in that uh, field because you need to have a promissory note and then your mortgage, and that needs to be recorded at the county level, like Monique said. Yes. to really see CYOA, you know, the yeah. term. Um, so that wraps up the, the second level of strategies, those with a 10 K budget. And if you think, you know, Hey, for the turnkey, for example, how can I buy a house of 10 K? I don't think, you know, you're saying it has to be 10 K exactly. It's like 10 to 25 K, maybe 30. Yeah. And that would so. be putting a down payment and getting a, a mortgage generally. So you're going to yes. put a down payment on the house. Um, 
and get financing and then on that, that type of property. But there are like, some of the, that turnkey farmland. Um, there's, I know one you can get like 18,000, get like an acre of coffee in Panama. <laughs> and there are a lot of different strategies at all different price points. Yeah. Well, you're not restricted to the U.S. real estate, I guess. We've learned no, that you're you can not. buy acreage in Panama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. For uh, the last third here, um, let's talk about strategies with a 25K budget to, I know you have a category for 25K, then you have a budget for 100K. Let's just kind of lump those together because that includes syndications at the mm-hmm. 25K. Can you dive in to why you, why do you need 25,000 or more or why do you need more for syndications and what kind of returns and what does syndication look like? Yeah. So like I was explaining before, it's, it's syndication is basically crowdfunded real estate. Um, and there's, uh, active investors or sponsors that are put together to deal. And as a passive investor, you bring in, um, you bring in money there. They can be even at, for a passive, be quite lucrative with returns, annualized returns in the high teens, twenties, sometimes more. Um, and but there's usually a, a fairly typical minimum for a syndication is fifty thousand. Um, you're you're buying a piece of a a large a large property usually. Um, we just did one three hundred forty four unit apartment in Atlanta. We're doing large facility factories. Um, and we're doing one in Ohio right now. So there's a there's a lot of different things, but they're they tend to be much bigger deals because of the economies of scale. The returns are often as good or, or better than when ones where you're active, um, but they usually have a higher, um, higher minimum to buy in. Higher minimum. Yeah. Because these are for typically accredited, more serious investors. And I'm, I'm not sure, honestly, if you have to be accredited, which means you have you a certain amount of You have worth. to be, you have to be, um, sophisticated or credit it depends on how the deal is being um is structured and just to explain for people who don't know what an accredited investor is because a lot of people hear that and they're like oh i'm not accredited i haven't taken the test or i don't have that certificate <laughs> and that's not that's not added that at all it has to do with either your income or your net worth and to be an accredited investor as an individual, you're going to have to have an income of two hundred thousand or more, as a or three hundred thousand or more as a married couple. You have to have had that income for at least two years, with a reasonable expectation that you will have that same income in the in the subsequent year. So you can do it via income or via net worth. So that would be a net worth of one million dollars or more, not including your primary residence, all your other assets, retirement accounts. Um, you know, investment accounts or other real estate, but not your primary residence. So about 8% of the population is an accredited investor. And it it used to be until the 2016 Jobs Act that um, only accredited investors could get into these deals. But since 2016, they've They've switched it so that sophisticated investors um, with a pre-existing relationship with uh, um, the person who's doing the deal. So you you will have to know um, the person that is bringing that type of opportunity. But if you have that pre-existing relationship, then you don't have to be accredited. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Um, And we'll point out that with syndications, you know, you're, um, you're not dealing with the three T's. 
the Hope. the asset manager is doing that. You're just a partner. You're a, a money partner, basically. And mm-hmm. it is supposed to be passive. Yeah. Once you're, once you're in, there's nothing to do. Yeah. Like it or not. <laughs> it's very, you, 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 per the, per the agreement, the only the active um, investors can have management responsibility. But you can expect a dividend. And then whenever there is a sale, yeah. then you'll get your investment back and more. You get a, a share of cash flow um, and a share of the equity upon sale or refinance. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. All right. Yeah. Um, starting at 100,000, we, we're going up quite a bit here. You mentioned commercial, commercial yeah. investing. Um, explain a little bit about that and why you need so much to get started. Yeah. So commercial, um, and that's, I would say if you're, you're buying a commercial property by yourself and commercial is generally, and it, you know, I guess it, it is technically possible that it could be less than that, but, um, commercial is usually ter- deemed as five plus units, um, or any like, uh, it could be retail, industrial, um, office. Those all fall under the, the commercial, the commercial arena. And, and I think in the book I talk about specifically, um, where you're doing commercial and you can do triple net leases. So triple net leases are awesome from a landlord's point of view, because in addition to paying rent, when you have a triple net lease, the, the tenant pays all the property taxes, pay all the insurance, and they pay all the maintenance. So with our triple net industrial, if there's an issue with the toilets, the tenants deal with the toilets. There's an issue with the roof, they would deal with the roof. If there's an issue with the um, foundation, they would fix that. That is their responsibility. And they're, yeah, they're paying for all those other expenses. So the uh, as the as the owners, all we pay on our our debt service. So for our, our loan on the property, and they all the other expenses are there. So it's very minimal in terms. So it's nice because and you have very long term leases as well. So many of our industrial leases are twenty years, and with built in rent increases. So we know exactly what our income is going to be. We know what our expenses are going to be. We don't have to deal with any of the surprises that's the tenants um, to deal with. So that's why it's super nice. So I am a kind of a big fan of um, of an industrial and that commercial side. But uh, they tend to be bigger properties and are more expensive to get into. Yeah, and we certainly don't want to force people into thinking that, well, I can never touch commercial then. Like going back to the beginning of our podcast, joint venturing with money partners, you can be the one that brings the five unit deal, the 10 unit deal. And then you can be, you can have an equity stake in there from just bringing the deal. So I don't want to make people think that, well, just because it's in that category, I can't touch it because you can get so creative in real estate. We don't want to put boxes around any certain strategy. Or you can do it as a, you know, in the syndication aspect. So our, you know, we're doing these commercial deals, but our investors are coming in, um, you know, at a, 50,000, sometimes 25,000 minimum. So you, you can get into the commercial. Usually you're not going to do that all by yourself, but if you have either joint venture partners or, um, or, uh, you know, or you do it in the syndication that, that is very accessible. Absolutely. 
Well, I know you, you scaled so quickly in, in your business and you, you did it all in like, I believe less than 12 months reading your bio. What's the strategy that you used to scale co- so quickly? Have we talked about it today yet? No. So, um, when I start, it's what, really when I started to syndicate and I, and that's just in 2016, but before that, right, I got my first investment. I didn't share my whole story, but I got my first investment, which was a house hack, um, 2005. So I, I had a, I got a, a duplex, kind of a triplex. It was like the not unpermitted garage conversion in the back. And I, I lived in one unit, rented out the other. So I was, that was, that was 2005. Met my husband. He had a duplex. We got a single family rental together. You know, after the market crash, we started flipping. So there was, it was for 11 years with that. It was fairly slow. And then I got into syndication, which is bring groups of investors together to purchase larger properties. And we went from two doors at the beginning of 2016 to over a thousand doors that year. And that was, it was really just through that strategy. Uh, that allowed us to go very, like much bigger, faster. Yeah. And I have talked about syndication on episode seven, if anybody's interested in that with Daniel Homeland. Um, but yeah, so syndication, you were the one then, um, you were the general partner. Were you the sponsor? What, in what capacity yeah. were you acting? And are all those a thousand units, not all a thousand are owned by you, correct? Exclusively. Right. So we, I, I own a piece of all of that. Exactly. Right? So I owned a piece of all of those right now of those. So we did five deals, three, we were the active, we actively invested. We we're the, um, the sponsors on the sponsor side. And then two, we were passive. So you, you on, <laughs> there were five deals total in that 12 month period. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you were the limited, um, you were in the limited capacity on two of those mm-hmm. and the more active role on three of those. Now that, that answers yeah. the question. Well, great. Monique, I want to end on asking you, why don't more women invest in real estate? And I know what you're doing to reverse that. You hold events and you produce content around that. But what's been the single most reason why more women don't invest in real estate? That's a really good question. I think the one, boil down to one thing, it's fear. But the fear can be around different things. So there's, I think there's fear of losing money. There's fear of trusting the wrong people. There's fear of, sometimes there's fear of being successful and then having, you know, the wrong people interested in you for that. So there's a lot of different fears, I think, that will keep, keep a woman from, from getting into the game. And then I, I think also a lot of women don't, see themselves as doing this and as a they might not even see it as a possibility I know that was one of the things for me I I fell into real estate I did not seek out the house hack I just couldn't afford a house in LA by myself it's you know this was 2005 a star starter home in a semi-decent neighborhood I'm not talking about a, a mansion in Bel Air Beverly Hills the starter home in 2005 was upwards of six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars so that was the <laughs> i was working as a lawyer that i had a pretty decent salary but i couldn't do it alone so that's what got me into like i became a landlord by accident i was not expecting to do that um i just i hadn't ever considered doing real estate growing up 
my parents told me, you know, you, you can be, they were like, Monique, you can be anything you want. You can be very successful. But in parentheses, that meant you could be a doctor, lawyer, professor, engineer, because that's what they saw as success. That's all that I knew was success. And so that, that was like my, it's like of those, I chose law. That was like process of elimination. And that's how I, I, I did what I, you know, how I did it. But I, it's like being a landlord never crossed my mind as possible. And I think a lot of people, not just women, but especially women don't go into this game because they don't see it as possible for them. And one of, and it's one of the things that I'm really determined to show is that, Hey, this is possible for you and you can do it in all these different ways. It doesn't have to be a side hustle. You don't have to have tons of money to do it. And, um, you don't have to necessarily have tons of time and there, you have all of these, these different things that you could do, um, in that. And I want to tie and I highlight other women. It's like, look, this, look at her. She did it. You can do it. She did it. You, can do it. you know, this is possible. This is possible. Um, so that's how. That's, yeah. I believe fear is the biggest limitation on human beings. And we just don't see ourselves in that role. Like if you've always, let's say you've always been a tenant or you've always um, just held like menial jobs. It's hard to like see yourself doing anything different. And, and then if somebody can dream a little bit, they just fall into the same old traditional occupations that are considered successful and something like actually like building wealth or owning assets doesn't even cross somebody's mind because no one in their family does it. Nobody in their circles do it. So I'm glad that I found real estate as a, as a young man. And I'm sure, you know, you, you're glad that you found real estate early on as well. Yeah, I am. I wish I'd found it earlier, but I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I forgot to mention, I've got three last remaining questions for you. They are quick. And it's the same three I asked to each uh, guest. What is the app or tool that has been the biggest game changer for your business? You know, surprisingly enough, I don't know if anyone else said this, but for me, it's really Facebook and it's, it's relationships because this is such a relationship business and it has been the relationships I've been able to form through Facebook that have really made the biggest difference for me. Um, yeah, that's my app. <laughs> yeah. People say I need to like max out my friends. I think you can have 5,000 friends and I just don't know how I'm ever going to get there. It's just crazy, <laughs> but it's a great networking tool. It really is. It really is. Um, and the other ones too, LinkedIn and, um, and Instagram, but I've, it's been more Facebook for me. Mm -hmm. Number two, what has been the biggest learning lesson in the last year, whether it was a failure or so forth? And why do you think that happened? Ooh, learning lesson. I think Latin, especially in this past year, it's been about how you can, how to pivot and, um, you know, asking the right question. So my main revenue driver for the real estate investor goddesses side had been live events. So we do these live events and, and get people into um, our, our program that way. And no live events were able to happen. So I had to pivot. But I asked myself a question, you know, at first after like, oh, no, what am I going to do? It's terrible. I was like, no, 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 life happens for me, not to me. So I just sat with what if this was the best thing that could happen? What if I could 
touch, have a much bigger impact, touch more people, make more money, have more fun, you know, like um, help more, more, more people than I ever thought possible. What if, you know, this could be the greatest thing ever. And I sat with that and got the idea to have a, um, a summit. And I was like, how to survive and thrive in COVID-19. So it was like brought together 12 really smart women to talk about all these different aspects of what is possible. And instead of the 300 people I was going to have in my live event, I had 1,300 people. It was super abundant, super wonderful, very meaningful, life-changing for so many. And I've done these different um, virtual events since. We're going to go back in person next year, but... I was, I think what I, the lesson was, you know, to pivot, but to ask yourself, like, how can things work for you? How can, how can it work for everybody? How can this be great and wonderful? And by doing that, it really turned out amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people pivoted in 2020, some the wrong way and some the right way. And, and so, um, you know, life is all about pivoting and, and like learning to, make do with what you have and, um, you know, get past the obstacles in your way. Yeah. Question three, our podcast is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing, whether that's financial lifestyle or otherwise. So what does freedom mean to you? Yeah. Freedom. That's such a great question. Freedom is for me, the ability to do what you want, with who you want, when you want, and and have the impact you want. So I I feel like uh, this this week actually I'm from Friday I'm leaving for three weeks in Europe, and um, I go to Italy and going to Tuscany and Prague. I'm so excited, <laughs> and and I have and I have everything handled. So I have team for the education side, teams for the real estate side, I can leave and I have that freedom. That for me, that's freedom, right? I, I know things are handled and money comes in, whether I'm vacationing or sleeping or doing all that, you know, the passive income, the time freedom, that that's freedom. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And you can operate your business for the most part on just on your phone or laptop anymore, mm-hmm. on the real estate side. And yeah. yeah, that'll be awesome for you. Uh, I've been to Italy twice. Um, Rome, I've been to Milan and Florence. It's just, it's a beautiful country. <laughs> I'm so excited. I've I, uh, been to Italy before, but I only went once to Rome. So I'm excited to have a couple weeks there and I've never been to Prague. So I'm super stoked. Is that Czech Republic, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Monique, uh, where can listeners get a hold of you, especially this ebook that we've emphasized so much today yeah they can go to reigoddesses.com and there you can get the investing real estate from one dollar to one million dollars guide and um and disconnect connect with me there you'll find all our social handles and our blog and our podcasts and our investor club if you're interested in passive investing opportunities um and our events and all the things very good. Well, it's been a pleasure yeah. meeting you and uh, discussing the $0 to $100,000 strategy. Um, it's just been awesome to learn from you, and I hope we stay in touch. Thanks, likewise. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. 
and tune in next week for the next episode.